What? You can just follow my lead, Larry. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we are talking to successful CEOs all about their epic business blunders and everything they've learned in the process of failing. And with us in the hot seat today is none other than Larry Stuarty. He is the CEO of MRA Group. Larry, welcome to the show. Well, thanks to be here. Great stuff. So you know what's coming. Uh, why don't you kick us off uh, with the elevator pitch? What exactly are you guys up to over there at MRA Group? MRA Group is a regional real estate developer of labs, medical facilities, and, and a university institutional real estate. Um, we advise, design, build, and manage several million square feet around the region. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the pitch. <laughs> well, it's a great pitch. So what exactly is the problem that you solve, would you say? Well, you know, as you mentioned in the preamble here, there's there's a ton of them, um, failures, but one in particular that comes to mind. Um, first of all, I should tell you, the company has been around for 33 years. So we, we have a lot of failures to talk about. Um, but primarily, the, the one that um, I think about often, um, I started a company an arm of the company in 2001, um, which was a software company to, to aid the real estate industry. And it's, in particular, it um, encompassed all the various users of real estate from the owners, from developers, from, from the um, tenants and buildings, um, from real estate brokers, and it kind of pulled them all together and send, sent out notifications of things. Uh, a lease is a living, breathing document, and it reached out and pulled things back. And so I was a real estate developer, I mean, a um, software developer. And uh, a very busy time for us. It was a great concept, had a lot of people interested in it, a lot of people looking at it. And I went out and hired third-party developers to, um, to develop this software. I spent over a quarter million dollars at the time um, developing it. And I realized that even with that, I wasn't paying attention to it. I expected people to understand what was in my head and to be able to put it down on paper. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. And it was like um, talking to a wall sometimes. And with the software developers and third parties, they just didn't get it. And at the same time, I was busy developing a number of significant projects in the Philadelphia region. Um, I'm, we were, you know, 35 people. The company was just a little smaller than it is now. And um, we were in a growth mode and I spread myself too thin. And what, what happened basically was that, that I started seeing failure, not only in this so software development company that just couldn't get off the ground, but it started impacting our other developments. And I could see it throughout the company. So I had to reel, reel that in quickly, um, except my losses, uh, my financial losses, which were, again, significant. Um, apologize to my associates in the company that I was, because I had really strung them along, and um, had to regroup the company and reestablish and refocus. 
And once we refocused, things took off again. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was a hard lesson. Well, it also sounds like a pretty epic story of fail. <laughs> yes. So when you when you think about that whole experience, uh, what do you now take forward with you into the business today? Uh, there are a number of things that, that came from that. Um, you know, one, and, and this comes up all the time because we have a lot of different, I'll call them opportunities that come to us. We're opportunistic real estate developers, um, but not following through um, and allocating the necessary resources on an idea that makes sense will kill the idea. And if you if it's if it's worth pursuing, it's worth putting everything else aside that you can, allocating resources, applying focus, and making it happen. Most people I've met that are entrepreneurial and have been successful have gotten there because they focused on something. Mm. Most of them have failed. Um, have failed because they lost that focus. Um, and that's the number one thing that I, I learned. And that's something that we do all the time now. Mm. Um, you know, there are a lot of other little stories that come along with that. Uh, as I'm speaking, you know, one of the things in, in, a, in a fast growth mode, you know, hiring too quickly. And um, I, I'd say firing, but I'll use the term retaining people too long. Um, you know, is a re another real problem. That's a failure. That's a failure to everybody. Um, so, you know, when you're in a when you're in that fast pace, you start hiring people that you think can do the job. You don't really, at least I wasn't spending the time, the focus on really making sure that the goals were aligned, the personalities were aligned, the skill sets were aligned. And again, it comes from not having focus and hiring people and then not moving quick enough when I realized that they just weren't on par with everybody else. Um, that is a, that was number two. The third thing I'll throw at you, uh, Matt, um, so I find is, and it's going to sound odd to you, but being too humble sometimes can be just as bad as being too brash. And a lot of entrepreneurs can can be brash and, and whatever. Um, we've tended to be more humble. We didn't tell our own horn. And um, and I will tell you, from that, I made another mistake um, and through the years. And that is expecting everyone to be able to do what I can do. And I call this, by the way, I have a, a word for it. I called it inverse inferiority complex. Um, <laughs> and... And it's a, if I thought more of my own capabilities, I wouldn't expect everybody else to be able to do the same thing. And therefore, I'd be able to adjust expectations and probably right size what they're doing. But because I thought that anyone could do what I could do, so I expect them to, it led to a some very steep learning curves with people. And again, it always comes back to people. And realizing, yeah, not everyone can do what I do. I can't play concert piano. I could try, but no one listened to me. But the things I can do really well, not everyone else can do. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of insights into that. I think one of the things that are that I actually wrote about in the Secrets of Fail book, which is literally coming out in the, this week, um, is about what you focus on expands. 
you know, and I think oftentimes we, we, we get distracted by the new shiny stuff that we actually don't focus on what's important. Like, uh, there's a, uh, one of the guys, one of my clients actually is Simon Taylor from Haiku, very, very wealthy guy, sold multiple companies, what have you. And he's in a very complicated SaaS data backup security space now. Oops. Like it's super complicated, lots of education required, what have you. Anyway, so he's part of YPO and he, and he met this guy who runs, uh, uh, he said to me, that this guy's got more money than him. He runs a business that's way bigger than, than his. And it's just like, and all he does is distribute turnips, just turnips in the UK. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, yeah, well, yes. we, and we, this is what I mean. Like we want to overcomplicate things. It's like, well, just keep it simple, stupid, and, <laughs> and go and scale that one thing, right? Right. Absolutely. Be really good at what you do and the rest will work itself out. Absolutely. So, uh, so Larry, if uh, you could get into the Matt Brown show time machine and kind of go back to yourself, you know, during this whole experience as you were having it now with the luxury of hindsight, what would you do differently and why? I would have found a really good, not software developer, it's someone that understood software developers, which is a difference. You know, I, I didn't understand that they would show up at eight o'clock at night and work through the night in a t-shirt. Um, you know, that, that writing guy code. Um, I, I would hire the right person to run the process um, as, as compared to me running the process and thinking I knew what the heck I was doing. Mm. Yeah, I call it uh, developer speak. <laughs> like, like you just like, what? What did you say? Like, it's yep. not like the languaging. It's just the way that they construct the model of what you're trying to build back to you. You know, like I, I had uh, my last company was a, a sizable services business. And then we were like, well, let's build some technology. <laughs> so I hired a CTO and hired a development team and all this stuff. And one of the most frustrating things, like I'm a genuinely impatient man. So, for, But if I think that I can go, if I can build a product that goes from A to B or get to MVP quite quickly, and then you get developer speak back, which is like, here's why it can't be done. I'm like, listen, right. we put a man on the moon like, you know, uh, 60 years ago. Please don't tell me that you can't build a SaaS product that's MVP stage in like four weeks. Do you know what I mean? And you keep yeah, having absolutely. this like... This like it's just like gray hair syndrome. <laughs> well, you know, man, I've come to learn that the people there are plenty of people that say it can't be done. There are plenty of people that don't do it, and mm -hmm. there's a handful of people that look at things and say, "Okay, I'm going to figure out a way to do it and make it happen." And it's just the way they're built. Um, you can call it entrepreneurial. What I always get a kick out of is the entrepreneurial classes at college and universities. Uh, you know, they, they have people taking, you know, getting degrees in entrepreneurship, which is oxymoronic to me. Um, it just goes against the grain. And there is, you either get it or you don't. And there are a lot of things I don't get. Um, but the things I do, I, I, you know, ever since these experiences going back 20 plus years, you know, I've tended to focus on what's in front of me and we were intent about it and we're known as a company that makes it happen and we have we we also have a client base which is separate from our own development and for our clients 
They have to, all they need to do is define what they want to achieve. We'll figure out a way to make it happen. Mm. And more often than not. Absolutely. Tell me, Larry, what's your advice to other CEOs or entrepreneurs about the importance of failing or failure in becoming successful? Well, the most important thing about failure is to learn from it. Obviously, I, I know it's a cliche, but um, when we hire in here, I always I, I tell the younger people, I make sure I walk around. I say, hey, make as many as mistakes as you can as, as quickly as you can and learn from them and be open to learning from them and not acting like you know what the heck you're doing. Um, it's okay not to know what you're doing. So there is, um, for us and making mistakes, you know, what, what I find most off today is that when people do make mistakes, they don't want to, I'll say, advertise it. I get it. Um, but they don't want to uh, open themselves up to really learn about what the heck went wrong, mm. not to bounce it off of other people. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, this, I screwed this up. What do you think I could have done differently? And to get different opinions about it, and because everyone else will have a different opinion. I will say that we promote that at MRA to a level that is well, well beyond what you typically find in most organizations. Um, we can cover for it. We can, we can fi fix mistakes if we find them early enough. Mm. Um, and we're dealing with architects, engineers, contractors. So there's plenty of room for mistakes. Always is, my friend. Always is. Um, so, Larry, what about books, tools, and resources that you recommend? Uh, podcasts, other things like that, books you'd like, really love? Well, first of all, I think you have an excellent podcast, so I, I'll put that first. I'm blemished um, 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 endorsement there. Um, there's a book that I read that I think everybody should read, every entrepreneur should read. And it's called The First Tycoon. Uh, and it's about um, um, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Hmm. And it's an incredible story um, that is about coming from nothing, which is where I came from, and building an empire and, uh, and the th things that happened along the way. So if you haven't had a chance to read that, I forget who the author is, um, quite frankly, but if you haven't had a chance to read it, um, the, the first um, tycoon is well worth it. Uh, another book that I um, um, there's a book called The World's Richest Man, and it it was again you'll find twelve different books out there. This is about the the guy that built the Spectrum in Philadelphia, which was a sports arena, and this is someone that came from absolutely nothing hitchhiked um, to Washington, D.C. and got a job in a paint store and became super wealthy and lost it. And he owned the Philadelphia Eagles and he owned the Philadelphia Flyers. And the story is his story. So um, I don't I didn't take it with a grain of salt, but it's it's an incredible story of success and failure. Mm. Um, and consequences and how you can get blindsided mm. and, and by people and by events. So, so two, two books you, you may not have ever heard of before. So yeah. I gave you something different. That's definitely different. Yeah, the yes. author of The First Tycoon is uh, TJ Styles and Mark Deakins. 
just for everyone's information if you are looking for that. Um, and then, uh, Larry, I'm going to recommend a book for you to read uh, if you're interested in like yeah. non-obvious off-center books that don't really have much to do about business but give you perspective um, is uh, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Have you read that? Oh, I haven't. But don't but read the I, whole I, I book. History buff. Yeah, but you mustn't read the whole book. You must only okay. read the first 50 pages or 100 pages, something like that, just the first part, where it describes the impact that Genghis Khan literally had on the modern world and how society or history has judged the mongrels in a way that was negative. Um, but uh, the but it's, it's literally mind-blowing because if you think about the impact that they had literally on everything that we now do as a society, it's the kind yep. of book that's like, hmm. That leaves you with it. And it's a short read if you only read the first 100 pages. Yeah. What do I do with the rest of the book? Uh, you just burn it. <laughs> it gets too detailed for me. It's just more yeah. like the, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, and, and then yeah, there's an, it's all about the context for Genghis Khan. Yes. Um, that's, that's really important. Obviously, if you feel like reading the rest of it, go for it. But firstly, but certainly the first like 50, yeah. 100 pages is a total work. That's great. Okay. Yeah, Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Uh, Larry, uh, you're a true legend. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you uh, for coming on the show and lending your perspective. However, that does conclude your time in the hot seat. Uh, thank you once again. and uh, wishing pleasure. You, mate, and uh, wishing you and the team at MRA Group all the very best of the future. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Cheers, everyone.